Well, good morning and welcome to fellowship. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. So glad to be here to worship the one true God. We invite you to stand with us. And let's look at Psalm 89 as our call to worship. We want to fix our eyes on Christ. We want to worship him in this place. So would you read aloud with me? I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I'll declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Let's sing of his faithfulness this morning together. We're heaven's fun creations, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful hands they hold us, safe within his promise of calling and of destiny. All right, let's lift that up again. Sing it out. We're heaven's fun creations. Pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful hands they hold us, safe within his promise of calling and of destiny. And I will sing of all you've done. 
gather together to sing of his faithfulness this morning. Welcome to Fellowship Rogers. If this is your first time here, we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. And you can go to the center booth in the foyer and meet someone. If you'd like, we'd love to meet you. Or you can follow the link on the screen with the QR code. You can go to fellowshiprogers.org forward slash news, and you can get connected there. You can also see all the things that I'm going to mention that are coming up soon here at Fellowship and so, welcome. First things, uh, this Tuesday night, uh, Fellowship Women is having an event in the Worship Center. It's a night where Sue Addington is going to teach on the transforming power of the Word of God. And we're actually going to have Evan Crawford, who's serving this morning, is going to be leading worship. And so we'd love to have you just show up um, on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Um, they'll be in this room. So invitation is extended. Please be here. Uh, next thing is First Timothy. We have a conference coming up November 6th. Uh, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Mark Yarbrough, will be coming in, um, and he'll be teaching a conference all through First Timothy. It's from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on November 6th, and we'd love for you to be here. Uh, registration for that ends um, October 31st, so next Sunday. So we'd love you to be here on November 6th. Please put that on your calendars and register. Um, also, Kids Day Out is a ministry we have here at Fellowship. Two of my four kids are a part of it on Mondays and Wednesdays here on campus, um, and they're in need of volunteers. And so, um, volunteers and positions, I believe. And so, if you'd follow the QR code, it will connect you with Jessica Files, and we'd love to have you serve as a part of our Kids Day Out ministry. Now, this next slide shows some pictures um, story time with Pat. That's what I call these sections here. If that's me right there in the white dress shirt and tie, and then that's my wife, Hannah, over there. That's when we graduated from UCA, University of Central Arkansas. That's my dad, Randy and Debbie Anderson. And that's my sister right there in the flowers in the center, Sheridan Anderson. And I wanted to show you that picture because um, my family doesn't live in this area, so oftentimes people are like, Pat, I don't know anything about you. But this morning, we wanted to tell you about one-to-one -one ministry, which is our special needs and disabilities ministry here at Fellowship. And it's near and dear to my heart because I have a sister who has special needs, and I've seen um, how big the church, how big of a role the church can play in the life of those with special needs. And then I wanted to share with you a quick story. This is my Uncle Jim and my Aunt Marcia and my cousin Jenna. They live in Tulsa. Uh, Oklahoma, and they, uh, we invited them to come visit us, and they camped out at Beaver Lake, and we invited them to come to church here, and they said, we, we can't go to church. Jenna has too many needs to where we, we just, we don't go to church anymore. We just study the word on our own, and um, we just, church isn't an option for us, and I told them about our one-to-one -one ministry here, and they got to come to church, and afterwards, my aunt said, 
That's the first time we were able to go to church in 15, 20 years. The first time they've been able to go to church in 15, 20 years. Just let that sink in. Don't ever take this for granted. But the one-to-one ministry here is such a huge benefit to our community and to our church body. And so they're in need of volunteers this morning. And I just wanted to share with you the impact that they're having on many lives here at Fellowship in Northwest Arkansas. So they're at Booth C in the foyer. They'd love to connect with you and just share more about how you can be involved in that ministry. And we wanted to share a life change story from one-to-one ministry. So be encouraged by this this morning. I think we first got involved in one-to-one because of my wife, Alan. Uh, She wanted our family to to be able to serve together. That's the reason that we we got involved. I would say the reason we stay involved is because of, you know, people like Zach that we get to work with every day and uh, just the blessing that it is to our family. So we've known Zach for about two years and uh, he's one of those guys that the more time you spend with him, the more time you feel, um, you feel blessed. And so for us, you know, I think you start out thinking, wow, I get to serve, and ultimately you become served. And so the time that, that we spend with him is humbling and fun, and Zach has amazing qualities that make us feel loved and welcomed, and just to see the, the joy that, that he has really, you know, brightens your day every every day that you spend with him. Me and Zach are just like friends where we hang out. I see him a lot more than I see some of my friends. I enjoy being around him. I look forward on Sunday to hang out with him. We spent about, I don't know, six to eight weeks going through a, um, uh, a book on being baptized and w- what that meant. And we learned about who Jesus was and uh, how sin comes into the world and uh, you know, our role and, and, and uh, you know, accepting Jesus as our Savior and then letting the world know about that through baptism. And so it's been really cool to see Zach embrace the, those concepts and then at the end want to, to be baptized. I think it's really special that he thinks of us so highly and that he wants us to be with him as he gets baptized and baptize him. I just, I'm really proud of him to see him grow and just want to be baptized and because we've, lear- we've seen him learn what it means to be baptized, and it's just really cool to see that. So I'm wondering, why do you like to come to church? Vacuum. So you can vacuum, like with that one right there. <laughs> Well, and doing that lesson with Aaron and Davis, right? Well, it goes to my next question. What's your favorite part about hanging out with Aaron and Davis? Videos. Doing the videos with them. What have you learned about Jesus on Sunday? Faith. Learn about faith in him and what it means to follow him. Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? Yeah. I would say it is, it's humbling because you never really feel like, I don't know, you, you feel like you get more out of it than you put into it, but to see uh, him make that decision, uh, it's very humbling and 
Uh, you just love to, to see uh, his love for Christ come, come through and, and you just see it on his, you know, on his person everywhere he goes and, and everything that he does. And so for me, it's and a rewarding is a wrong word, but, but you just love to, to see him grow closer to Christ and to want uh, to wanna pursue that relationship. celebrate that story together, fellowship. Isn't that awesome? Would you stand with us once again and let's sing of his goodness and his faithfulness. good 
this moment in the first service uh, didn't really plan I was just overwhelmed with gratitude after those first two songs and seeing Zach's story just overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God just having memories brought to mind of his goodness how he's protected me how he's brought me through the fire so before we continue to sing just take a moment and reflect on his goodness pray gratitude to him this morning for who he is and all he has done for you. Let's sing the gospel message together this morning.
Christ Jesus well, you will show that you grow in the truth of faith. You will show that you be drained by the good teaching you obey. Don't have anything to do with godless stories and silly tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Training the body has some value, but being godly has value in every way. It promises help for life you are living now and the life to come. This is the truth you can trust and accept completely. This is why we worked and try so hard. It's because we, it is because we've put our hope in the living God. He is the savior of all people. Most of all, he is the savior of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone down on you because you are young, said unacceptable for the believers in what you said and how you live. Also said unacceptable in how you love and in what you believe. Show the believers how to cure. Until I come, spend your time reading scripture out loud to one another. Spend your time preaching and teaching. Don't fail to use the gift the Holy Spirit gave you. He gave it to you through a prophecy from God. It was given when the elders placed their hands on you. Keep on doing these things. Give them your complete attention, then everyone will see how you are coming along. Be careful how you live and what you believe. Never give up. Then you will save yourself and those who you hear you. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Thank you. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. For those of you who are new, we are teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. It's what we do here at Fellowship. We typically teach through books of the Bible, and, and you're, not, you're not showing up in the middle. Don't feel bad, because I think the text will be very instructive to you today. It has been for me as I've been working through it. Um, first, the, the, the book of 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege and, a, and pastor Timothy who's working in a church in the, in the city of Ephesus. And as you're turning there this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. And you have to answer it, answer it honestly to yourself. And the question is, what do you value most in life? Now, now that you don't have to give the, the, the right answer. Yet I, we understand, let's assume we all value the Lord. You're here, Right? And hopefully you value your spouse if you're married and your children. But, but if you look at your checkbook, and I guess you don't say that anymore, if you look at your Venmo account or you look at your bank account, and, and, and we all have those things that we, we spend money on. If you try to explain it to somebody else, they just don't get it because it's your thing. Maybe it's a hobby like fishing or golf or sewing or crafting Maybe it's travel. You love to travel. Maybe you're a foodie. Maybe you're one of those coffee people who you, every time we see each other, you try, to, you try to justify to me why you pay $7 or $5 for a cup of coffee. We all have our thing, don't we? We have a boat. That's part our thing. And no matter how you put the pencil to it, it doesn't add up. We should probably rent one that five or ten times a summer. It just the money doesn't add up. The the, the expenses of the boat, the cost of gas, the the slip. But we love it, 
and we're willing, and we value it, and we're willing to pay a little extra for it. And so what we're going to see in our text today is the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, and I think you're going to see this, that the, the, he's going to talk about the value of godliness, and that godliness is like gold. Do you know how valuable gold is? I was going to have a bar of gold up here for you to see. And it's like thousands upon thousands of dollars. I was talking to a guy who's a gold enthusiast, and he was just shaking his head, smiling at me. He's like, I'll give you some gold coins. I'm not going to give you a bar of gold. It's expensive. But godliness, it's like gold. And it's worth the cost. It's worth the effort. And I think that rings true more than ever before, both in the first century and today. Hey, to understand our passage, we need to do a little pre-work. And so we're going to look at the whole chapter of 1 Timothy. We need to look at the, the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. The end of the chapter, here's what Paul says. He says this, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Because if you do, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He gives this warning. Hey, Timothy, you're the, the minister here. Watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. And if you go back to the very first of the chapter, here's what it says. The Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars. Now listen to this. Whose consciences have been seared as with a hot Iron. He's saying that, that, that they're so far off that, that literally they, they're not open to rebuke anymore. And not only that, they're leading people astray. And Paul's saying, Timothy, you've got to deal with this. And then he gives them two things that they're doing that are wrong. Two examples. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. It's a little bit strange, isn't it? It's a little bit strange. The, the, what they're doing is they're taking the gospel and saying, okay, here's the truth, here's the gospel, and then they're attaching these, these rules. Hey, you, you can't eat these foods. Hey, it's better to be single than married. They're attaching things, that, the ways to be more holy, and you can't attach anything to the gospel at all. And that's exactly what they're doing. Now, imagine this. What if some of these people were Timothy's friends? Or people he's always cared for. And what Paul's saying, say, Timothy, you're going to have to deal with conflict. And it's going to be hard. I've always avoided conflict as much as possible. Some people that might be hard to believe because I'll, I'll, I love to argue and discuss and those types of things. But when true conflict comes, I'll avoid it. I may have shared this story before, but when coaching sixth or seventh grade or six or seven year old girls soccer, which our team was really good that year. And, and, I, and I'm coaching the team, and these two girls kind of get into it. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, they're showing some, some intenseness. And so they're getting into it. But all of a sudden, their moms really get into it. And their moms are on the sideline. They're starting to argue it at each other. And then I can see my wife over here. And so I got this great vision. My wife's over here, and she's kind of like looking up like, hey, are you going to deal with that? And I'm like, No. This is my problem. That's not my problem. But what, what Paul's telling Timothy is, hey, the whole thing's your problem. The, the, the field's your problem, but this is your problem too. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be messy, but you're going to have to deal with it. And he goes on to say, for everything God created, verse 4, is good, and nothing is to be rejected. 
if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And look at verse 6. That's where we pick up our passage today. Paul says this to Timothy. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. You know, I've always had this question ringing in my mind, and I know people are challenged by it. Am I good enough? Am I good enough at this thing or this thing? Am I a good enough dad or, or, or husband? Am I a good enough minister? And, and Paul is talking about that in a sense, but in a sense, he's not talking about your, your worth. You see, that's been taken care of in Genesis chapter 1, where it says we're all created in the image of God. Your worth is established. But what he's saying about here, he's saying, Timothy, if you're going to be a good minister, if you're going to be good at your role, you're going to have to address these things. Now, what's interesting here is that word minister is actually the Greek word diakonos, diakonos, which, which means, we, we were introduced to a couple weeks ago by Sam Hannon, it means deacon, doesn't it? And so it's this office in the church, it's this role in the church, but it also, he's actually translating it here, we're translating it here, servant. It can also, I mean, minister, it can also mean servant. I think what Paul's doing here, he's actually moving from the, the office of deacon to this role in the church of minister-servant. You see, this is where it becomes very applicable to us. So Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister, if you want to be a good servant, you're going to have to deal with these things. You're going to have to point these things out to the brothers and sisters. So what are these things? People a lot smarter than me argue about them, and I read and I watched them argue. Uh, many think it, these things mean that everything that, that Paul's talked about up to this point in the book of 1 Timothy, really uh, the second and third chapter is what he's, they're talking about. And that could be it. More likely, it's the passage I just read. More likely, it's the, the things that these, 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 these liars are, are putting out. It's, it's more likely those things, the, the, th the forbidding to marry and the uh, forbidding of eating certain foods. Because it's for especially for spiritual purposes. So he's ordering them to abstain from certain foods. He's, they're forbidding them to marry. And Paul's saying, hey, that's not right. Singleness is, is good. Marriage is good. Don't attach anything like that to the gospel. All things are created that God created are, are okay to eat. Now, guys, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should have steak every day. Because there might be some physical benefits for not eating some things, right? But spiritually speaking, everything is okay and permissible. Don't attach a spiritual practice to it. And what's really interesting here is he goes on to say, in addition to pointing these things out to be a good minister, also um, you be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So he starts to use these these. Um, these physical illustrations of, of diet and exercise, look in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So now he's talking about diet, nourished on the truths of the faith. He's also talking about exercise or, or dealing well with your body. Train yourself to be godly. So what does he mean by nourished on the truths of the faith and good teaching? I think the truths of the faith there are simply the gospel, Jesus' life, 
Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension. Believing those things, and Paul's saying, you've got to remember those things. You've got to focus on those things. Push everything else aside. He said, and and the the teaching that you have followed. Now think about it. Who taught Timothy what he knows today? Paul. So he's telling Timothy, hey, remember what I taught you. But if you look back even farther, actually, if you look at his second letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talks about the faith of Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, remember what your grandmother taught you, remember what your mama taught you, and remember what I taught you, because those are the things you need to stick to. And then he says, train yourself to be godly. And we're going to see that play out in the rest of chapter 4. He's going to teach us those things. But what's really interesting here is in addition to eating the right things, being nourished on the right things, in addition to training yourself to be godly, he also is getting ready to say, stay away from junk food. Look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Stay away from the junk food. ESV says irreverent, silly myths. The King James Version says profane we had a ministry partner years ago, and they're dear to our hearts. We, we were partners in ministry with them for probably 10 or 15 years. They were a, in a global outreach ministry that we went to. We took, we took our people. Many of you went there. Many of our students went there. We saw them grow from a, a body of believers into other bodies of believers. They were planting churches all over the place. It was an, an incredible, encouraging thing to be a part of. And, and we, had some, we had some skills and some, some training that we, we would take and we encouraged them in. And, and we, saw, we went to the mountains and the jungles with them. We went to other cities with them. And then one year we started going down there and they started attaching things to the gospel. Hey, you need to do certain things in order to be holy. And they started bringing in these Old Testament customs. And we were saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No, that's not right. Okay, okay. You go back the next year, and it's even more so. And the next year, even more so. And finally, to the point where we saw other churches beginning to pull away, and and we as a church, we had to pull away. And it broke our heart. Because you can't change the gospel. You can't add things to the word of God. Look at verse 9. He says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then he gives that statement we see several times in this book. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He's saying physical training is of value. It's okay. CrossFit people, don't be mad. Tough mutters, it's okay. It's good. Physical training is good. It's good to eat right. It's good to take care of your body, but it doesn't compare to godliness because that has a benefit both in this life and in that one to come. It says it has value. Godliness has value for all things. So what is godliness? Here's one definition. Reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. You become more and more godlike in your attributes, The gospel of grace is growing in your life. You see, godliness, it's like gold. And it's worth the effort. It's worth the cost. And being a part of the church, it's going to cost you something. Growing in your spiritual relationship, just like physically, to work out, it's hard to go work out, isn't it? You don't feel like at times. It's the same thing with godliness. It's going to cost you something to show up for community group when you don't want to to go serve people maybe that sometimes it doesn't feel good, it, to, to give when you don't, don't really want to. It's gonna cost you something, but it's worth it 
both in this life, there's blessing, and, and in the life to come. And Paul tells that to Timothy. Now, there's an interesting part of this verse here. Um, in the last part of 10, he says, no, and, and let's look at verse 10. He says, that is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Timothy, command and teach these things. So he's saying we labor and strive because, because godliness is so valuable. It's worth it. We also labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God. But then this is interesting part. He says, the living God who is Savior to all people, especially those who believe. Some people will use this passage to actually teach universalism. Hey, everybody ends up there in the end. Some people act good, some people don't. No, that's not what it's saying at all. We know that for two reasons. One, the rest of Scripture does not teach that. There, there, is, a, there is a definite thing that has to happen in order to be a Christian. If you've never made that decision, if you've never repented and believed, we would love to be a part of that conversation. Somebody in the prayer room would love to pray with you after the service. Come up here, we would love to pray with you and talk about that. But there has to be something. But also, if you look here, he's actually talking about two groups of people. who's the savior of all people, and then there's this other group, especially those who believe. The gospel writer Matthew, I think, builds on this. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He says this. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, there's something going on in this world that, that it, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, you get to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And, and you, get to, you get to enjoy the privilege of God holding off the, the, the full consequence of sin. We feel consequence of sin in this world, but we're not feeling the full consequence of sin. But I'll tell you something, it's coming. And if you're on the wrong side of it, it's not gonna be pretty. And I know that doesn't feel good, and we don't talk about that a lot in church these days, but, but there is a judgment coming, and you don't wanna be on the wrong side of this thing. And that's what Paul is, is telling Timothy. Back to the passage. In verses 12 and 13, he's gonna give us some practical instruction. The first one is personal in verse 12. The second one in verse 13 is, is pastoral or ministry-wise. Both will be very applicable to us. He says this in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set examples for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, Timothy, some people think Timothy was really young, like in his teen years. I, I don't think that. Uh, we don't really know for sure, but most likely he was in his early 30s, so he probably was younger than most of the people ministering to him. And I think what Paul, Paul's trying to breathe confidence into him. Paul's trying to say, hey, Timothy, your, 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 your character compensates for your calendar. Your character compensates for your calendar years. You see, I would much rather have somebody of high character than somebody's old with not high character. I shouldn't say that old. Wise. In the world's eyes. Somebody with gray hair. Now, Here's what those who are, have gray hair and who are getting more gray hair realize, that oftentimes that character, it comes with the calendar, doesn't it? That you look at people and they're just a couple steps ahead of you in life, you say, I'm almost there. It's just two steps, but oftentimes those steps are winding. 
You see, it takes that punch in the gut of life. It takes that relational strife or that financial hardship or that health thing, and it just humbles you. But I'm telling you, young people in the church, we need you, we need you to leave. You lead, you not leave, did I say leave? <laughs> we, we need you to lead, L-E-A-D. We need you to be that diakonos, the servant. I'm gonna talk about in a minute that we're about to launch another congregation. It's gonna create all kinds of opportunities to serve. And we as a church, we need you to be here and lead <laughs> desperately. This may be my last time up here. <laughs> he, he gives a list. The list starts with speech. I've already failed that one, so let's move to conduct. <laughs> but how's your post-pandemic speech coming? Did you get in trouble during the pandemic? Man, I said things I'd never said in my life. I got in discussions with people. It's like, I don't even know why I'm arguing about this. See, I think we all need some speech reform. I found a poem from 1912. It's about the most convicting thing I read, except for the scriptures this week about this. It says this about our speech. Now, bear with me, because it is in Old English, but it says this. If all we say in a single day with never a word left out, were printed each night in plain black and white, it would make strange reading, no doubt. Then just suppose, ere our eyes should close, that we must read the whole record through, and wouldn't we sigh, wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? It's getting convicting, isn't it? Well, listen to this. And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half what I say in a single day were to be left forever unsaid. It's by a lady named Grace Castle in 1912, and I think it was true probably then, and it's even probably more true today. One pastor, speaking of his young years as a, as a father, said this about his speech. He was driving his kids to school one day, and he was given... He was giving his kids an earful about somebody else's driving. He was frustrated. Uh, he was angry. He was, he, was, he was just reading this person the riot act. And after he's done, kind of realizing his kids were in the back seat and the car grew quiet. And then his little daughter from the back seat just said, and that's another kind word from your pastor. <laughs> Folks, they're listening. Our speech matters. Our conduct matters. People know you're a believer. I was down at the Pleasant Grove Walmart, and I acted in the way I was just embarrassed of later. I was at home trying to mow. My mower wouldn't start, so I took the battery to Walmart. It was during the pandemic, and you couldn't get in the auto parts area. So I had to drive around, and you had to wait in line to go in. You remember that, those days? And so I'm carrying this battery all the way to the back of the store. I get it swapped out, and as I'm leaving, I realize there's a couple things I need to get. And so as I always do, I never get a cart or a basket because I don't need that. And so I start, you know, putting things in. I'm walking through Walmart. I'm carrying a battery and all these things. And I realized I sat my sunglasses down somewhere. So I had to go through Walmart trying to find them. Then I had to go stand in line because what happens now? Yeah, we check ourselves out, don't we? And some people aren't very good at it. And I always get stuck there and I have to raise my hand. It's like this wound from school. I don't understand. And, and so somebody comes and helps me. I'm so mad. I make this sarcastic comment. 
And it went something like this. Hey, if I forget to scan something, do I, am I in trouble or is the store in trouble? Are you going to dock my pay? And man, it just hit me. I was like, that's so wrong. And then this lady, probably through the Holy Spirit, she pulls out her credit card. She says, I can see you're having a rough day. I would like to bless you and pay for your groceries. I said, you know what would really bless me is if you just kind of forgot I was here um, and paid for somebody else's groceries. But she was so sweet. And I said, Lord, point taken. Our conduct matters. So these two, both speech and conduct, are outward. These other three, love, faith, and purity, are inward. That love, that Greek word for love there is agape. That's God's love through us. The word faith there is, it, it doesn't mean right belief. It means faithfulness and trustworthiness. Are you going to be a faithful person? That word purity there means exactly what it says, purity. That if we're going to be, if we're going to be spiritual leaders, if we're going to be spiritual servants, we've got to be able to serve. We've got to be able to serve in purity. And I'll tell you this, especially young men, we've got to handle this thing well. Pornography's run rampant. It's hard to walk in purity. And one thing that helps is bringing it out in the open with somebody else, a trusted friend who can pray for you. There's something about bringing that sin out in the light and confessing it to God. It's incredible things happen. As I was thinking through these last three things, love, faith, and purity, I was like, Lord, how can I teach on this? How can I help our congregation understand how important these things are? And then I had the idea. Matter of fact, it was such a good idea, I put it on video. And matter of fact, I should sell it. It's so good. And if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back, okay? But we're going to watch this video, and it's going to tell us how to walk in, in faith. It's going to tell us how to walk in love, and it's going to tell us how to walk in purity. So watch this with me. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's shot on the iPhone. Can you hear that? See, sometimes in life, we just need to stop. We're so busy. We have so many things going on. We're so important. I had the opportunity three weeks ago on a Sunday morning. The Lord woke me up really early. And so I'm sitting on the, the porch. I'm preparing for, to lead Discover. So I open up my Discover lesson. I don't know if it was a coffee. I think it was the Holy Spirit. And, and, and God was moving. And I had this worship experience. You know, normally you hear a lawnmower out there. Normally you hear birds. I didn't hear anything. You see, I needed to stop, and I needed to put my phone in the other room. Not sure how I got that video, but you need to put, put your phone in the other room. I needed to be quiet and not say anything. And then I read this verse. I've, I've probably read it a hundred times in my life. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So I'm thinking about God's mercy, and he's saying, in view of the mercy of God, I'm thinking about God's mercy on my life and how I, I don't get what I deserve, and, and in view of that, to offer my body as a living sacrifice. It's just this incredible time of worship. But in order for that to happen, you've got to stop and listen. And if God brings a sin to mind, just confess it, exhale, breathe in forgiveness, move on. If, you, if something comes to your mind you need to do, just write it on a, a piece of paper. And young families, I know it's hard for you to get alone. 
Usually that happens early in the morning, late at night, but it's worth the cost. Godliness is like gold, and it's worth the cost. In verse 13, he gives some outward things. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and teaching. So he gives three things, the public reading of Scripture, preaching, and teaching. You may say, John, I'm, I'm never going to do any of those. But what, what, what those two did up here today, I can't do. But it's important for the church to do it. And it's important for you to do it in your home. And even in this first century, it's even more important. They weren't carrying Bibles around. You see, how they knew something was true is they were an oral culture, so they had to hear it spoken. We're a written culture, so if it's written, it's true. It's the reason we're struggling with the internet so much. Because you have this written communication that most of it's not true. But they were an oral culture. So the public reading of Scripture, preaching, which means the moral instruction that appeals to the will, it's what I'm doing this morning, trying to get us to make a change. Teaching means <clears throat> making an appeal to the intellectual and it informs the listener. And then our last verse, last couple of verses says this, do not neglect your gift. So he's talked about this eating and he's talked about this nourishment. He's talked about training and now he talks about your natural abilities, your, your gifting. He says this, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. You see, the elders laid their hands on Timothy to affirm this gifting. One, one scholar says this, the construction of the Greek text suggests that they're saying, stop neglecting this gift. We don't know what the gift is. It could be leadership. It could be something else. But here's what we need to know. All of us who are believers in Christ are gifted. There's a list of spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we didn't know what we're gifted in. Most of the time, it's what you like to do and what you're good at. It's what people affirm in you. This is what the elders are doing for them. They're affirming Timothy in those areas. Hey, I'll close with two stories. First one. The word diakonos means deacon, but it also means minister and servant. And most of you know this, but I, I, I lead our adult ministry team here at Fellowship, um, our community team, but I also primarily minister, pastor in the Rogers area. That's where my lane is. And I get to minister with a lot of people, and there's, I have three heroes I just wanted to point out to you today. They are the embodiment of a good minister, a godly minister. And they have been so encouraging to me over the years and challenging to me. I would not be the father I am or the husband I am or the leader I am. But the interesting thing is these folks are just volunteering their time. They've led small groups. They've coached community groups. They've, they've, uh, most of them have taken on this role called community shepherd where basically it's like, hey, we want you to be a staff person, but we're not going to pay you. And we're going to give you lots of responsibility and a key to the church. They've done an incredible role. Many of you have been discipled by them or you've been in their discover groups. And that's how fellowship works is we just keep releasing responsibility out. You can do it. We can help. Let's go. Now I'll say this. Bentonville's coming. And, and what's gonna happen, and, and I'll tell you, the staff is stressed, but what's gonna happen, but we're hopeful and we're excited is, is another church is going to start over there, tied to this church. And there's going to be incredible opportunities to serve right here and over there. And we're so excited. And when there's already ministry going on, we've already got community groups there. We've already got staff there. 
but something's going to change. And we're going to need everybody on board. Diakonos, servant. We're going to need a next generation of, of shepherds and leaders and servants. Last thing I'll say, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Our staff gets sick of me saying this, but I say it over and over. Jesus is with his disciples. It's the 72, it's not the 12. And he's telling them, and you know they're in a place where they're stressed and they're overwhelmed. And Jesus says this to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's where we're at right now, to be real honest. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, look at Northwest Arkansas. There's apartments and homes everywhere. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what does Jesus say to do? Anyone? Yeah, pray. Pray that the Lord of harvest would send out workers. And that's what we're doing. We're praying. Lord, would you use us, Fellowship Bible Church, to be, to be one of the churches to reach all these new people? Lord, would you, would you change this area and allow us to be part of it? Would you change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas? Godliness is like gold. It takes some effort. It'll cost you something, but it's worth it. Hey, I'll leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul from last week's passage. I think it defines godliness probably better than anything I could say in 30 minutes. It says this. to the Lord this morning. God, there's no one else for me, none but Jesus. Would you join us as we sing that prayer this morning?
that be our prayer and our song as the body of Christ, that we would live to bring him praise. This morning, I wanna highlight our prayer room, similar to what Seth did this last week. We have people every week who show up and pray. They pray over the prayer requests that have been written down or on, on the wall in there. They also pray for anyone who walks back there and is in need of prayer. So if you are in need of prayer this morning, if you'd follow the signs down here, our prayer room is kind of backstage. We just wanna extend that invite to you. We're gonna close this morning with prayer, familiar prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. So would you pray this with us this morning? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, Fellowship. We'll see you next week.